Okay. Good morning, everybody. I'm going to take your seats. Uh, it's great to see you. Good to be with you this morning. And um, this morning we're going to look at the subject, if we go to that first slide, of the secret of contentment. And uh, the truth is that discontentment is almost epidemic in the world, isn't it? We're often known as a nation or a country full of grumblers. So I thought we'd start uh, with something a bit fun. We'll start with a game of family fortunes. Put up your hand if you know what family fortunes is. Okay, so I, I need two volunteers. I think first volunteer's got to be somebody who's like not been to this church for a while. Maybe lives in another country. Maybe lives the other side of the world. Anybody? Hands up if that's... Hey, there's... Come on up, Aidan. So uh, the first volunteer victim is Aidan. So Aidan is... Uh, I'm not going to let him speak. Aidan is from New Zealand. I think that's the answer to the question. Aidan's from New Zealand. Used to be a member of the church. 20 years, 20 years ago. So he's been in New Zealand all that time. Went out with the church plant. So this is our first victim. And then... Uh, I thought another victim from overseas. I thought, how about Alex? He shook my hand earlier, which was a mistake. Come on up, Alex. So give a hand to Alex. So I want you to, uh, we don't have a buzzer, so I want you to hit, hit this, yeah? Now, we need to practice the sound. Can we just practice the sound there, if they get it right or wrong? <coughs> okay, here we go. So if you get it wrong, that's what you get. And if you get it right, you get... There we go. Okay. So, you can't look. So I want the top... You know how it works. The top six things that... Uh, there was a survey, and this has got to remember, this is before COVID. So this survey was done in um, a couple of years ago. So 98, I think it was. No, 2019, 2019, 98, what am I talking about? 20 years? I'm still 20 years ago. 2,000 people in 2019 were surveyed. And uh, I want you to know, I want you to tell me, without looking at my piece of paper, okay, what were the, um, what were the top six things they grumbled about? Go. Well, Aidan got there first. So, Aidan, uh, what would you like to say the uh, first thing, that, one of the top things? Family. Family. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's a shame. So it goes over to Alex. Alex, top thing that people grumble about in this country? The weather. In fact, he has the top answer. Okay, that's it. That's the game over. Right, well done. Take your seats. When we go to the next slide, you'll see what the, all the answers are. I'm not going to play this all day long. No. Well, that was very good. So, and the, the reason I do this is I know what we're like. We forget things, okay? So I'm, I'm doing this so you remember about grumbling because that's really what our passages in Exodus is all about, grumbling and why it's not good for us. So these are a few things that people grumble about and uh, got top answer. This is the next slide, okay? This was another survey done of, again, 2,000 people, and this is all pre-COVID, of things 
people complain about. And it's kind of, I thought there were some quite funny ones on there. So um, waiting for a delivery that doesn't turn up. I know it's not particularly funny, but uh, Wi-Fi not connecting. Anybody complain about that? Uh, people who walk along staring at their phones. GDPR. I mean, I complain about GDPR. I would say. In fact, I one of the things not on the list is forgetting your passwords. Is there anybody, anybody who? I mean, just it's unbelievable when you have to. You've got to log in. You forget your password. It's like the worst thing in the world. Of course, uh, sitting behind a tall person at a concert. I can see that's a. That's never really been a problem for me, um, but I do sometimes cause a problem. Uh, bad hair days, again, not really an issue. Um, <laughs> but there are all kinds of things we grumble about. Um, and it's not a new thing. So if you've got a Bible and you want to turn to Exodus chapter 16, we're going to look at the story as it unfolds. And remember, last week with James, the people were praising and rejoicing. And we pick up the story only one month later. And uh, Exodus 16. Let's go through this together. I'll read from my Bible here. So the whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. The 15th, on the 15th day the second month after he had come out of Egypt and in the desert the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to him if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. They've got things have turned bad pretty quickly. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down from heaven for you, bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And in this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. And on the sixth day, they're to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites in the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? And Moses said, you'll know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And then it goes on to do exactly... Uh, happen exactly as uh, it's been predicted and they get this amazing provision of manna and it says this in verse 31 the people of Israel called the bread manna it was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey and Moses said this is what the Lord has commanded take an omer 
of manna and keep it for generations to come so that they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the desert when I brought you out of Egypt. So, it's an amazing story of God's provision, literally a miracle that happened every day for 40 years for the people of God. But in the New Testament, this story and several of the stories in the Exodus were told uh, here to warn us. And they're like um, an object lesson in discontentment and the thing that we should not do. And it actually says uh, that we should not grumble. And we'll come to that in a minute. So I'm going to look at three things this morning. In our, um, and I'm going to look at alternatives to grumbling, learning contentment, and spiritual sustenance. So first of all, the alternatives to grumbling. And uh, you see in that first verse, it says, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. I grew up in a church where I thought that was the normal thing you did. <laughs> that, uh, that was church life. You know, you had the leaders and you grumbled. <laughs> I mean, that was, uh, that was kind of the church community I grew up in. And it's not, uh, it's not healthy. In fact, I almost say it's toxic. And that's what some of the things that James says, that actually our mouths can be like poison. And we can actually hinder the community of God and the work of God by speaking out things that are harmful. And this is what happens here. And in fact, um, in the uh, Numbers version of what happens in this story, it's, it sounds like there's a group of particularly negative speakers that influenced the community. And uh, so grumbling is taken pretty seriously. So if we go on to the... Let me get my slide so I can see where we are. If you go on to the next slide, this is what it says in the New Testament. So it specifically says, look at their example and do not do it. So it's like a warning. Do not grumble. So do not grumble as some of them did. And that's from Corinthians 10. And it talks about how God brought them out uh, of Egypt. They were all under the same cloud. They all saw the same things. And yet God was not pleased with most of them. And why was that? Because most of them grumbled. And in fact, a whole generation of Israelites wandered in the desert because of grumbling. It actually hindered them going into what God had for them because they allowed their speech to be negative. So it's quite a serious uh, warning. And then in Philippians it says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. So I know what you're like because you're like me. <laughs> Can't we say anything negative then? Uh, well, you can. But it's, the Bible's different. So if you think about the context of this, at the start of Exodus, there was a lot of negative speech. There was a lot of groaning. The people were oppressed. They were in a hard place. Their lives were miserable. And what they did was they groaned. So the first alternative to grumbling is groaning. But there's a big difference between groaning and grumbling. See, groaning is a cry out, just like the prophecy, the word that Steve gave, we cry out to God. I, I cried out in the mud and the mire, I said, God help me. And if that's you, if your life is in a mess, the Bible says God has great compassion on you. He loves you very much. And you can speak to him, you can cry out and say, God help me in my mess. Help me, come into my life, change my life. So there's a groan 
when things are bad. And actually, the Bible encourages us to groan and to cry out to God. So you see that with David in the Psalms. He says about crying out to God. In the New Testament, it says, cast your cares onto him because he cares for you. So yes, you can say negative things, but do it to God. See, grumbling is against God. That's the problem with it. It it embitters you. It twists you. It it distorts things. It it harms you, actually. So we go to the next slide. Um, I came across these couple of quotes. Groaning is complaining to God. Grumbling is complaining about God. Groaning happens to God's face. Grumbling happens behind God's back. Just that was a really good quote when I came across it. And uh, it also goes on to say this, grumbling is contagious. When I make my irritations and frustrations known to everyone around me, eventually it creates a toxic fellowship of grumblers which poisons community. Sounds pretty serious. And actually, the New Testament, James, the brother of Jesus, who was an early church leader in Jerusalem, he says something very similar in his book. He says, the tongue is like a rudder on a ship. It's a very small thing at the back of the ship, but it affects the direction of your life. And uh, learning to control the tongue is probably one of the most difficult things to do, but it can really affect the direction of your life and where you go. And uh, he then goes on to say, it's a bit like two taps. So I want you to imagine two taps. The first tap has got fresh water, so it's got F on it. That's the first tap. And the second tap has got bitter water in it. And it says we shouldn't have praise coming out, fresh praise and thankfulness coming out of the tap, but then bitter water coming out of the same tap. So we need to learn because actually it's poisonous. There's something negative and dangerous about allowing the bitter water to come out. And actually you can, you can poison your life and you can affect the lives of people around you in the community. That's what really the warning is. So in Corinthians it's saying do not grumble because interestingly in Corinthians they were grumbling about leaders again. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Steve. I follow John. I follow... You know what I mean? It was, it was grumbling. And Paul saying, don't be like that. Don't allow negative speech um, into your life. And uh, I've got to say, um, this is something I learned a lot of from uh, which a guy called Greg Haslam. He used to lead the church um, back in the 80s and 90s. He was really hot on speaking well and how speech can affect your life. I used to teach it a lot. In fact, I almost started this morning with one of the... He started a talk once. And um, for those of us who are that old, uh, you might remember this. He said that there's a member of this church who has been disrupting marriages, has been causing harm, has uh, poisoned the community. And we're going to expose who this member is. And we're all like, I can't believe he's going to say... Who is this person? Who has been ruining people's lives? And he said, it's the tongue. And we went, oh, gosh. <laughs> but he, I mean, he had us on the hook. It was really, really good. But he, he himself used to follow this advice. He had a great phrase, which was dignify the trial. Dignify the trial, which he nicked from R.T. Kendall, but still, it was a, something he used to teach into. And he himself sadly passed away last year. 
but an amazing dignity in the trials that he went through in his life. And he learned to speak well and encouraged us as a church. And I remember Jonathan, when he first came, I see him in the call of my eye, he said when he first came to this church, he noticed there wasn't a negative, toxic speech culture. And I think Greg, we've got to thank God for Greg and a lot of the things he taught us back then because I think it's stuck. I think we've got a good church culture. I know some of you are feeling the pinch because you're grumblers, but we, we all need to work on this constantly and it's good to remind ourselves of these things. So he used to say things when he was teaching about parenting. He said, don't say terrible twos, say terrific twos. And you think, that's a little bit twee, isn't it? But interestingly, when we had twins, people used to go, ooh, double trouble. And we would say, no, double blessing. Now, it seems really twee to say that, but actually how you speak can affect your attitude to things. So I've done it with work. I have a very positive speech attitude most of the time. Not all the time, but most of the time to my work. I have a positive speech attitude to the relationship with my wife, who is pretty amazing, so it's not so difficult. But I, I choose positive speech by and large, not universally, as she could quite quickly come up and uh, point out. Um, but it, it, it does, it's a, like a tap, yeah? You turn the fresh tap on. So the, th- so the other thing is, so we can groan, but we can also be, have gratitude. So that's the other, it's quite helpful. GR, gratitude, speaking positive thankfulness, and also speaking blessing into situations. Say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak positively and bless into this situation. So I think I was, I've been really helped through that teaching, and I commend it to you as a concept to allow to try and turn off the tap of grumbling and turn on the tap of thankfulness and positive speech. So the second thing then is learning contentment. And uh, Paul says this rather curious thing in Philippians. He says, I have learned the secret of being content. And you think, well, that's, that sounds good. But it's interesting that he had to learn it. It wasn't something that came naturally to him. And I think all of us have to learn it. And actually, God put him through situations, some highs and lows, if you like. And in the lows, you're still learning contentment. It's not just to be, he says, whatever situation I'm in, it's not just when things are going well. It's actually when things are going badly that I'm learning to be content with who I am in Christ and what Christ can do for me. So God, I think, loses circumstances to teach us contentment I think that's what he did for Paul and if we go back to the passage Exodus 16 what was the big mistake they made so the big mistake is they they forgot what God had just done for them so there they are it's quite if you think they're only one month in so they left on the 15th day of one month and then they had the 15th day of the next month so they've had one month and last month they were just being saved from an amazing, you know, coming out of the Red Sea, the Egyptians are behind them, they're now safe and secure, and then they know one month later, and they're feeling hungry. The Hebrew word is actually hangry. Uh, I looked up. No, that, that didn't work. Uh, but um, I thought it wouldn't. Oh, should I? Shouldn't I? Anyway, I did. Um, I enjoyed it. So the... Uh, 
but they, they focus on their immediate situation. And there's so often something can go wrong for us. Something can, you know, a tire can blow or your Wi-Fi can go down. And suddenly it's the worst thing in the world. And you allow bitterness or whatever it is to come into your situation. But as a Christian, as a believer, you've, you, you should always have in view God's mercy. So we are constantly to live focused on Christ and what he's done for us and, and remembering it. That's why we all take communion in a bit. Because that, that helps remind us. They'd forgotten what God had done for them. They're literally only a month away. And it, it's interesting as you read that passage, it says the cloud was there. So the presence of God was right there with them. There was a presence in the, in the place. And yet there they were grumbling because they felt a bit hungry. And they, they also exaggerate how bad things were. They said, when we were in Egypt, we had pods of meat. Like they were sitting around all day, every day, just eating. They'd forgotten they were slaves, that they were working to the bone. They actually, they were being persecuted, and a, there was even an ethnic cleansing thing that was going on. It was horrible conditions, and yet somehow that was okay, but this is now terrible. So... Um, they focus on their immediate situation and, and it, it's, um, we need to refocus from our immediate situation. And that when things are going tough for us, to look up, to see the cloud, if you like, of what God's done for us in Christ. And we should always then be thankful because it, you know, when th- things go up and things go down, uh, God is always good to us. And another thing we need to avoid is, is looking at either possessions um, or our supply levels. So if you imagine, if you look at your, if you are content by looking at your bank balance going up, yeah, you're probably, most people are only content one day a month. Because it goes up for one day and then it goes down for the rest. And if your contentment is by focusing on the price of fuel bills, then your contentment will be at an all-time low. And a petrol pump, anybody been there recently? If your contentment is on the price of things, then you're always going to be going up and down on a daily basis. If you're watching things to make yourself content. Money is a terrible thing in terms of not producing contentment. So some people think, well, the more money I have, the more content I will be. But I can tell you it's just not true. So I went to uh, Nepal a few years ago with Dave Lockyer and Chris Kilby, lead our churches in Southampton and Eastleigh. And we went to Pokhara, and there was a guy I was chatting to in Pokhara who literally was living in poverty and he said I have nothing and yet I am content and he meant it and he smiled (laughs) and I thought it's interesting because I sell companies for a living that's what I do I help people sell companies and I sold several for quite a large amount of money and I've been to celebration meals where people have become very very rich and once or twice normally they're, they're thankful but once or twice, I've had meals where people actually moan and grumble that they didn't get more. And yet they've got most, more than most of us will ever see in this room. It's amazing because 
money and greed. That's when Jesus talks about you can't love God and love money. He's saying it's going to take over a bit like a God and you're, you're always wanting more and more and more and more. And it never satisfies. It always leaves you discontent. And that's, that is the truth, that, um, that you, can be, you can be a billionaire and there's always somebody with more. You can look at Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos and say, well, they've got more than me. You could be a discontent billionaire. It's bizarre, isn't it? Somebody could be that rich and still be discontent, but it's the truth. And the Bible says this in lots of places, that, um, that we should be content with less than we think we should be. So it says this in Proverbs 17 verse 1. Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. It's real wisdom. It's better to have a little and have love than have lots and have discontent and hatred. So there's a couple of verses that um, goes on to say, in Timothy, we got that one? So it says, godliness with contentment is great gain. And this is all in the context of people, he says that some people think that becoming a Christian is about making lots of money. He says, no, or be a, a route to financial gain. He says, financial gain is not that important. The thing is spiritual gain. If you've got God, you've the, you're the richest person in the world. If you've got spiritual riches, you are truly rich. If you've got that to be thankful for, that makes you, you know, it says that Jesus for our sake became poor so that in him we might be rich. So if you're a Christian, you've got your sins forgiven. You are rich in God. There's a sad story that Jesus tells about a guy who builds bigger and bigger barns. And Jesus says, your life is not made up in the abundance of your possessions. And he just keeps wanting more and more and more. And he's not content. And then God says, tonight, you will face the judgment. And you've not been rich towards God. So what's, what, what good is it if a man gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? It's the teaching of the Bible. It says that money doesn't do it. So it actually says in that passage then, it, says, it goes on to say that if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And you've got to remember, when, Philip, when, G, G, uh, when Paul writes about Philippians, and he says, I've learned the secret of being content, he was in prison when he wrote that. He was in prison in Rome, writing to encourage others. So he went through some very, very harsh things. He said, I've learned to be content in whatever situation I, I am. And that could even be, you know, when he talks about there's a thorn in the, my flesh in Corinthians, that I have a it sounds like he might have had even had a physical health issue. And yet, in that verse, it says, God spoke to him and said, my grace is sufficient for you. If you've got God's grace, you've got the thing that's the best supply in the world. Because his grace never runs dry. His grace never runs out. His grace never gives up. It always supplies day in, day out, the same yesterday today and forever that is God's grace to you and you're rich and also in Hebrews it says keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said never will I leave you or forsake you so if God's with you 
That's how you can get your strength. And he says, I have learned the secret of being a tenant. And it's, that it's God who strengthens me. I actually never connected those two things together. I always thought, what is the secret of contentment? Because I don't really say, but he goes on to say, I can do everything through Christ or through God who strengthens me. It's having God with me. That's what gives me strength in the good days and the bad days. Okay, so that's um, learning contentment. And I think, for me and Nell, we've had patches where we've had, we've been, things have been tight, and patches where we've had more than enough. And I would say you learn to be content more in the tight times. Does that make sense? I know it doesn't make sense to a lot of people because most people are used to just things going up and up and up. And actually, we've had things go down at times. And actually, you learn to live, cope with less. Like Paul says, if we've got food and clothing, we can be grateful for that. If we've got a, you can be thankful for what you do have, not envious of what others have. Because in our social media age, hardly anybody will ever be content because there's always somebody with more. So I encourage you to be content with being uh, with God. And then finally, spiritual sustenance. So when you think about this story of the manna and the fact that they got manna day in, day out, and they had to go out and collect the manna, and there's a daily experience. And it's interesting that Jesus, when he talks about manna, he refers back. So he's being tempted in the wilderness. So he's in the wilderness and the devil's saying, turn these, bread, these stones into bread. And he says, ah, but it says in Deuteronomy 8 that um, God in the Old Testament humbled you. He refers back to this verse. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So physical bread will only give you so much. You need spiritual sustenance. That's my last point. You need, so much of us are concerned about spirit, you know, supplements, vitamins, getting the right balanced diet. Well, we need spiritual supplements in our lives. And there's two key supplements, and James was encouraging us last week, and it's the word of God and the spirit of God. See, when it says that man doesn't live by bread, he lives by the word of God. There is like a... Just like the manna came on a daily basis, God wants to give us his word on a daily basis. A bit like, and it says it's like dew, it's something fresh every day for us. So I want to encourage you to, to think of it like that, to think of it as God's got something for me on a daily basis, something I can taste. It's like honey on my tongue, as the Old Testament talks about, that God's word. God's word can be literally like life to me, it can give me spiritual sustenance. So I'm going to take something of God's word on a daily basis into my life. I think that's what Jesus talks about when he's starting to talk about manna. And then he talks about that he himself is like manna. So it says this in John 6, Very truly I tell you that Moses, who has given you bread from heaven, it's not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven, the bread of God that is the bread that comes down from heaven, and gives life to the world. And then he goes on to say, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. 
It's amazing, isn't it, that there is life in Jesus. So we access him by his spirit and by his word. And I want to talk about, just in closing, when we were praying earlier as leaders about this series, I felt reminded about the way that Peter talks about being living stones. And, uh, you know, because it's easy to think about, well, church being one big mass, but actually we're each individually to be living stones, that you yourself are called to be alive in God. That, I felt that's what James was bringing us last week, and that's what I feel the call is for us as individuals, for you to be a living stone. And what does that mean? Well, it means that you have a positive impact on the people around you. So if you're a brick in the wall, um, you're an alive brick. You're not a dead brick. And there is something that emanates from you that cares for others around you, that has an impact on those you're connected with. See, in the, in the story that I talked about earlier about people missing out, well, there were two people in the Old Testament. When they decided to go and spy out the land, there were two people, Caleb and Joshua, who were different to the others, people around them. The other people around them made their hearts sink. They gave this report that Canaan was just like, the problems are too big and we'll never do it. We are, they're giants in the land and we are like little grasshoppers. We're, we're, we'll never do it. But Joshua and Caleb said, no, we, with God, we can do it. We can do this. We can take this land. But actually, the others made the people's hearts sink. Well, my encouragement to you is be a living stone in how you speak. Speak faith and life into situations and into one another. Be an encourager of others. If you see someone who's down, go and speak to them. You know, if you've gone through a hard time and you're here saying, Rob, you know, I'm barely coping. Well, if God's taken you through a tough time, you know what? He often uses you to help people just like you. He will bring you into cross the path of someone who's, you've gone through something tough. He will use you to help someone who's gone through something tough as well. Because that's the mystery of God, that God helps us. He's with us in our difficulties and our trials. So that's my encouragement to you, is to you to feel the call of God to be a living stone and to be alive in this church and not allow uh, any negative speech. There is, a con- there is a place for negative speech and criticizing leaders if they go into error or um, you spot some, an elder going to sin. So I don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you never say anything negative. But there is there's a characteristic that Jude talks about, about fault finders and grumblers. And I'm really imploring you not to be like that for your own sake because it, it spoils your life. If you want to be content need to turn the tap off of discontentment and turn on the tap of fresh praise and thankfulness okay that's all i've got to say this morning i'm going to hand over to tim and the band and we're going to take communion together which i think is a great way to end